This is the Brisbane Football Review with your host, James Coglin. One of these days, I will master the ability to complete a sentence. Scott Owen. Right, what would I know? I'm just the weekend host around here. And Adam Pace. Look, I think of what other choice you have. Starting now. Do we have to do this? Really? I mean, fine if you say so. Hello, everyone. Do not adjust your calendars. This is a Sunday night edition of the Brisbane Football Review with James Scott and Adam. I am back in the host's chair after Scott filled in for me, and we had Ed Jackson more than capably subbing in for the show during the week. And we are coming to you on a Sunday after the Roar have had a couple of A-League men's matches because, well, in a slight tease, we do have the NPL men's season preview for Queensland coming out this Wednesday, featuring interviews with, I would say, about half the coaches, if not more, depending on uh, how organised we're going to be over the next few days. But this is the A-League men's-focused show, as it, well, circumstances have kind of dictated it has to be. Scott, how are you? I'm good, James. I'm just sifting through all the complaints from the host of last week's show. <laughs> the replacement guest, Deb, was fantastic. The host, not so much. Yes, Adam, um, unfortunately, uh, because I will be going on uh, dad leave in a few weeks, let's say, maybe a month, we're still working out exactly when the arrival is going to be. But you've set a really freaking high bar uh, with Ed Jackson that's uh, going to have to be cleared somehow. So good luck with that. Yeah, well, actually, I'm, I'm quite confused at the moment because Sunday I've normally got Scott as the host. So <laughs> what are you doing here on a Sunday? Yeah, what are you doing here on a Sunday? Yeah. <laughs> you told me I had to be here and I couldn't miss consecutive shows, otherwise you'd replace me with someone much more nice. Oh, well, at least this, this show will be the two of us in this time slot from uh, next week onwards. Yes, that's right. Tune in every Sunday night for the NPL Sunday show powered by the Brisbane Football Review, possibly with a fancy new introduction uh, that may or may not still need to be put together this week. But that's a uh, whole other issue to deal with going forward. In the meantime, this is uh, on Clutch Radio. Very pleased to have your company on there, which is now the home of NPL TV, featuring uh, to this point four of the biggest NPL competitions in the country. And, uh, yeah, they're also going to be the home of several other quality programs as well. We are also on the A-League Live app. If you want to get in touch with us, brisbanefootballreview at gmail.com. Facebook, The Raw Review, Twitter, at BNE Football, and the podcasts are on the A-League Live app, Wooshka, iTunes, Spotify. I'm going to stop calling it iTunes one of these days. I swear it's actually Apple Podcasts now. But anyway, the important thing is... Just don't even try. Just say it's on Clutch Radio, the A-League Live app, and wherever you get your podcasts. Simple. Unfortunately, my podcast hosting uh, ability kind of took the mantra from the old Clarkson Hammond and May Top Gear, ambitious but rubbish. But anyway, what we've got... That's coming first of mine, which is quick but even more rubbish. I'm going to leave that right alone because there are all sorts of jokes I could make. But anyway, we've got two A-League men's games to recap as well as a postponement for the women. And uh, we'll go back to Wednesday afternoon down in uh, Wollongong and... It was a fantastic afternoon for the Knicks as they ran out 3-0 winners over the Brisbane Roar. And Adam, okay, we'll get on to uh, tonight's game. But 
I honestly feel like that was a little bit closer than that 3-0 scoreline. Wellington just did a phenomenal job making their chances count. It came down to simply uh, Wellington took their chances. Brisbane Raw did not. Not all there against their way. Ollie Sale made a couple of great saves, one in particular in the first half that uh, denied Henry, uh, Henry Hoare. But, um, yeah, I think that's what, that's what comes down to it. Uh, Wellington were clinical. Um, a wonder goal from uh, Gail Sandoval, you know, that basically, um, basically, you know, turned, turned the game on its head after, after Henry Hoare hit the post, um, on the, on the preceding play. And, um, yeah, that, that's a lesson. You take your chances, uh, you're going to, you're going to do well. If you don't, you know, three nil undeserved, but still three nil. They were good to Phoenix, actually, and a lot of credit. Actually, I think Sam's point that Gail Sandoval and even Scott Wooten as well, they're two. January transfer window additions have been really good for them. They were quite quite important in their win on Wednesday afternoon. But Adam's right; it was they took their chances, and Brisbane didn't. But Brisbane had plenty of opportunities. Henry Hoare had a couple of good opportunities. Adam mentioned a couple of other players had opportunities as well, but they weren't able to take them. And Wellington took theirs quite nicely, and they, they did deserve the win. Let's be clear about that; they deserved the win. I think yes. three 0 was three 0 was probably a little bit harsh in terms of the difference difference between the two sides. But when you take your chances. You get lucky sometimes in terms of overall score. Yeah, for sure. And I think what frustrated me the most is the fact that we went from the Raw having, well, I think at least twice, the Raw having a clear-cut chance that could very easily have gone in all the way back down to the other end and in a flash the Knicks had scored. Yeah. And it was just a case of, well, you know, the Raw couldn't convert. And unfortunately that's just, that's the way football goes sometimes and the Knicks were better on the day. Now, we won't go too, into too much detail about this because we do have two games to cover, but um, I'll do the 3 2 ones now, actually. I'll get this out of the way because it is my turn to do that. Uh, three points, Henry Hoare. Two points, Corey Brown. One point, Jay O'Shea. And, um, well, for starters, I, w- I want to talk about the big discussion point from this match, which was actually the reported crowd of 38, 39 people at it. That's well, what was reported on Keep Up. So, so yeah. Um, yeah. To be honest, I don't. I'm. I'm not fully trusting that. I. I saw a couple of shots um, from from the cameras go looking up into the main stand at Leica, and there looked to be more than 39 people. But uh, look, it wouldn't have been more than a couple of hundred. Like we, we, like Scott and I both would have been, and yourself commentating, you know, on MPL Queensland games. We would have been bigger crowds at MPL game than there was at um, at Leica. Look, uh, yeah, of course, as well, you know, being a a uh, Wednesday afternoon with two sides, you know, our town sides, you weren't going to get, you weren't going to get 10,000 people, but uh, the report of 38, um, I think that's embellished for all the wrong reasons. Where normally they get accused of uh, boosting the crowds in the other direction, Scott. <laughs> they do, don't they? But I think to Adam's point, I mean, the kickoff time was very awkward. What was it a five o'clock? Lo- no, 5.30. 5.30 local time kickoff in Sydney. 4:30 p.m. up here in Queensland. It was obviously timed more to to getting primetime coverage in Wellington or New Zealand for their TV market. It was their home game. That makes perfect sense. But given the kickoff time and the fact that it's a um, a home game for Wellington in Sydney, where there's not a lot of fans for either side, I can see why it was a lower crowd. 38. I'm not sure. I fully believe either, but I don't think it was more than a couple of hundred people. I think. As I saw going on social media, apparently this is what they used to in the NSL do to say that was a two thousand person crowd. 
Yeah, and uh, I can see I back in the day. Apparently, they call it two thousand. So there you yeah. go. And I can see Adam emphatically agreeing with that point as well. But <laughs> I think it's the button. <laughs> but my, 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 I, those are the two points I kind of wanted to make on that as well. Where if this game was where it should have been, were it not for you know border closures and everything, it would have kicked off at that time, like that same time, Australian Eastern or Brisbane time or whatever. But I also think what you're starting to find as well is the novelty of having Wellington playing you know, out of a bubble in New South Wales now, you're really starting to see that wearing off. And, I, like, we've seen them play, was it the victory behind closed doors a couple of weeks ago because they couldn't find a match day sponsor for a midweek game. Uh, and I'm, Adelaide Thursday night, Thursday night behind closed doors as well, given the uh, Friday night, given the, um, the storm as well. That too. That too. Um, I, yeah, I think what you're finding now is where at least when it comes to home matches for the Knicks, this is a rock and the hard place they're stuck between because it's not expensive to, you know, host uh, or to hire a ground for a professional match. You know, you've got to have certain things open. You've got to hire security, mm. get everything running for the broadcast. You know, we've heard about it from the Raw's perspective. So I think at the very least we can be a little bit sympathetic towards Wellington uh, for that. And conversely as well, I saw some suggestions that maybe uh, they could have just thrown open the gates and just let everybody in. But if this is a club that is, you know, by all accounts, just bleeding money, trying to uh, make things work in Sydney uh, just to keep the season going, kind of, ha- I'm not sure that, you know, if they throw open the gates and you get 5,000, 10,000 unpaid customers there, is it really going to, you know, be a much better scenario where you're then having to put on extra people for the attendance and also cater to them as well? I, I actually, to be honest, I, I'm not really fussed either way on it. I I am because this is a situation that's been brought on by the fact this game was postponed originally from its original date. If this was a scheduled fixture ground, I'd probably be a lot more concerned that, you know, you only got so many people there. But... Yeah, I just think the circumstances behind it, um, if they're trying to make money off it, that's a problem. But at the end of the day, they have to get play for the integrity of, of the competition. So I think, yeah, again, this is a case of, you know, where, how how they come up with that attendance. But again, I, on the other hand, I'm not really that, you know, that fussed about it. The, the game got played for the sake of, you know, the integrity of the competition and catching up on games. And, that, and that's probably the most important thing. Yeah. Aesthetically, it didn't look very good. Um, actually, look, it just it looked horrendous. But, uh, but yeah, look, you've got to get the games played. This is, this is a situation that we've had, especially the postponements, because of um, of the pandemic. Scott, any last thoughts on that? No, I pretty much good with Adam. So it's the way it's got to be. Unfortunately, it's a it was a game that was moved given the rules COVID outbreak, and it was an ideal situation. But at the moment, given that that Wellington can't play games in New Zealand, this is the way it unfortunately has to be. And I think we're going to see a couple more games like this for Wellington between now and the end of the season, given they've still got a fair few home games to play in Sydney, and it doesn't sound like they're going to be getting home. Certainly not before finals anyway. So I think we're going to see a bit more of this, unfortunately. And that is also my final point on that is where Wellington gets a massive benefit of the doubt when it comes to a lot of, you know, the things that they're going through this season as well, because, well, they've got, like, they've got it harder than pretty much anyone, any other club in the league on both the men's and women's side. 
we do have to remember the fact that they're making a tremendous sacrifice to keep this season alive. If they said, if at any point they just said, we're done and we don't want to do this anymore, the league will be in a whole lot of trouble. So you have to give them credit for the fact they have stuck it out for what it will be two full seasons, James, and then an additional month or so at the end of the season prior to that. So it's a pretty, it's a massive sacrifice that they have made. Exactly. And they're now at least five games unbeaten. And as we heard a lot from Ben Homer, they're uh, on equal points, basically, uh, with the third, third through sixth place as we're recording this on the Sunday night. Did you know that they were only a win? Uh, yeah, that's at, top yeah. <laughs> Apparently. But, well, not anymore, thanks to Western United's win tonight, which, as um, you've probably seen on Twitter by now, phenomenal goal. The Scorpion kicking that Western United game against Western Sydney. Better goal anyway. than McGreeze, do you think? Ooh, I'm going to say no. Yes. No. Ooh. I think no. the technique is, more, is better, but McGreeze looks more spectacular yeah. further away. And off the other side of the crossbar. However, you do have the outside of the foot assist from Priyavich. Yeah, well. So I the technique is higher, but you know it was even you know it was an even better uh, scorpion kick goal. Olivier Giroud against Crystal Palace because that thing thundered off the bottom of the crossbar. Isn't there an Arsenal swear jar as well? No, I I, my Premier League club lived off history, not yours. What are you doing? <laughs> Look, I'm feeling invincible. That's all I've got. No. <laughs> All right. So, look, we can keep talking about the Premier League if you want because I'm not sure there's really no. a whole lot for us to discuss. I don't think with. my club's <laughs> lost this weekend, have they? So I'm, I'm really happy to do so. Yeah. Not yet. Anyway, perhaps by this time in 24 hours they will have lost this weekend, but they haven't yet, I don't think. When did they? Anyway. Yeah. So the reason we're kind of just puttering along on our own at the moment is uh, – well, the Raw lost to Perth Glory down in Tasmania uh, this evening, and it was another frustrating uh, result away from home. And I think the way that the three of us were discussing before we were recording was it was, you know, a flat performance on the road again. Scott, how have the Raw gone away from uh, Morton Daly Stadium this year? Uh, not well, is the answer to the question. In terms of this is A-League, it's not including the FFA Cup games, but away games in the A-League this season, they played seven. Drawn six and lo- and lost. Oh, sorry, lost six and drawn one, and that's by far the worst record in the competition. I can get the four, the goals for and against for you if you want, James, but they're not very impressive to be honest with you. Yeah, well, uh, you had I think it was like three goals for. It's maybe? got three goals scored and fourteen against. Yeah, across seven games, so it's it certainly is a problem, and we'll hear from Warren and Rick Fadim asking this question in the press conference. But I do, I do, I do think it's a genuine concern. I think it's also. One win in ten now for the Raw away from dating back to last season, so it's not great, is it? No, and I I don't think there's really a way to sugarcoat like that record where you know I know at the start of the season where they had what was it, three less than ideal away trips in the first four rounds, two of which were same day travel, and the third was against what is right now the best uh, club team in Australia. Maybe the maybe you know that sort of uh, possibly got into their head, Adam. Yeah, um, look, it's it's very very easy to sort of say that you know, you know that uh, the, the the scars of travel early on and the situation with you know the same day travel may be playing having a bit of a mental um, sort of imprint on the players. You know, I know I know Warren um, when I asked him the question the uh, in the press conference this afternoon, sort of you know summed it up, you know, very differently. But, yeah, sort of my thought 
my thought immediately went to, you know, having lost, you know, your first three away trips, um, there might be a bit of a phobia there for the players, you know, as far as, you know, you know the, the, the fear of losing more games is what's causing sort of more conservative flat performances. And, um, yeah, and all of a sudden they're in this hole now where they've basically taken one point from, from 21 on off of the season. Yeah, and it is one of those, you know, sort of quicksand-style uh, performances potentially where you have that thing and you're thinking, okay, well, you know, they got, you know, blasted by the victory in round two, I want to say, yep. where they, yeah, and now you're like, okay, well, let's just try not to get blown out. Maybe we can try and snag a point or a 1-0 or 2-1 win or something, and then it just doesn't really work out. And going going on with this, Scott, as well, like, it's not so much that like their results on the road haven't been great. Even though they lost by less goals than they did on Wednesday, I just kind of feel like they were never really in this game against Perth. No, they weren't in this game. And basically from the first 10 minutes, they were behind very early on given the, the penalty that um, Henry Hall brought down Young Gabiri and Bruno Fonerale put, put it away. And Glory were quite good for the first 20 minutes and, they weren't really in. They got better in the back end of the first half, James. But for the most part, I, I do agree with you. They had a few half chances, but the chances they created were again half chances, and they were shots that were either off target or basically straight at Liam Ready that any goalkeeper at the other level would comfortably save. So they didn't really create any like clear cut goal scoring chances. That you look at the, gee, if they had, that one had just gone their way, it could have been a different game. I thought it was a pretty comfortable win actually for Perth Glory and. It, I thought 2-0 was probably about the right score, but I do agree with you. Brisbane weren't really in the game in terms of, in terms of it, were they? I just, they had an op- openings, but it's one of those where the game could have gone on for another half an hour and it wouldn't have changed. Yeah. They and weren't, weren't going to get themselves back into the game, let's be honest. No, no, you've kind of felt like even if they had have found a way to possibly jag a goal, um, you know, through like Corey Brown, who I actually thought had quite a good game, um, you know, he puts in a delivery that someone gets onto the end of and it just gets over the line one way or another. I kind of just feel like they, like Perth were just doing what they can to make sure that they won that match. And, yeah, I just – it was a frustrating watch. That left side was actually the um, positive. Sorry, the left side was the positive. Was that Corey Brown was very good going down the left-hand side. And even when he came on for his cameo, Luke Ivanovich making – movements into that left-hand side channel was quite lively. So if they were all were going to, to get a goal back, it would have been down the left-hand side where those two were more lively than perhaps on the other side. Yeah, it does speak volumes that their two best chances came. One from one from Nicholas Olsen, who you know, basically um, you know, got around the... Um, the slow, the slow turning circle of Dale Lackman, and then and sort of you know shot straight at um, at Liam Reddy. Uh, that that was one. Two. The other one was a uh, a Matthew Steinman uh, header that went that went just wide. Um, that bounced into the into the ground and went wide. So it just at the moment it just feels like I know it's it's an issue as far as player availability, but. Um, there's just there's no cutting cutting edge in the uh, final third, and that's and I think that's what it comes down to is that you now, and that's no disrespect to those players. Like they're, they're taking they're, they're taking chances, but they're not falling at falling in at the moment. It's either you know they're either getting their opportunity and the keeper is making you know, a strong save, or it's one touch too many too hard or, you know, in the case of you know, the aforementioned cross that Corey Brown put, which, you know, 
half a second early if um, Cyrus Demi dives in, that, that's a spectacular header for, for to make it 2-1. So it's just not formed from at the moment. I don't know what the answer is as far as you just got to keep on persevering. But, um, yeah, it's, it's a very frustrating watch, definitely. Yes, well, speaking of frustration, Warren Moon was cutting a very frustrated figure on the sideline. I noticed in uh, stoppage time the Paramount Plus cameras caught him just sitting there shaking his head and one of those times I would have loved to have been able to read exactly what was going through his mind. However, I haven't quite got the technology for that yet. What we can do, though, is hear from Warren Moon after the match. So this was uh, some of the clips from his press conference. Uh, tough loss for the boys today. Um, obviously, on the backup, uh, how, how you feel about it? Uh, disappointed. Very disappointed. We, um, you know, from my perspective, I felt like we shot ourselves in the foot. We uh, started really poorly and uh, deservedly gave a penalty away. Um, you know, and it's no one's fault but our own. We uh, really passive, really lethargic in that first five, ten minutes and uh, paid the price. But from there, we controlled the game. Um, and again, we, we got on top and uh, probably should have taken some chances that came our way. But again, you know, that's uh, something that we're struggling with at the moment. So uh, halftime 1-0 and again, control in the second half, had some good chances. And, you know, just again, it's just an absolute killer. The way we considered that second goal was, was embarrassing. So, um, you know, there's not much more to say. We, we just have to pick ourselves up and have to be better because right now, you know, we're finding ways to lose football matches. Um, is the is the away form a concern? Obviously, um, decent record in Brisbane, but uh, six out of seven losses this season on the road is that is that something that's you now starting to become you know sort of an issue with so I guess with the coaching staff and the players? No, I don't think so. I think it's a it's a performance issue. It's players not doing their jobs and standing up um, when counted. You know, we uh, we've had performances at home where we've won, but you know our performance level from some of our away games haven't been too bad. Um, as well, we just we just need to make sure we're more clinical in what we do. Um, you, you know, this problem is not about home and away. This problem is about us as a group and about how we need to improve moving forwards and and cut out the silly mistakes that were pretty much been there from uh, round one. Um, obviously, the big talking point from the first half: uh, Juan Lascano being subbed off near the end of the half. Uh, was that tactical, or was that is he carrying an injury, or uh, what's what's the situation there? Look, it's, uh, you know, you can tell right now I'm not happy with, with, with certain aspects of the performance from our boys. And, you know, um, I, I subbed off one, but I could have subbed off three or four more. So, um, you know, and the boys were told that at halftime as well. You know, it, it, in no way, shape or form was that good enough, you know, from some of our players today. So um, we just all have to be better as a group, you know, collectively from the staff to the players, we have to be better because, you um, there's a talented squad in there somewhere, but right now we're struggling to find that consistency. And, uh, you know, we've now, um, from our home win to these two away games, it just hasn't been good enough on the road. Um, obviously, next game Friday night uh, at home against Melbourne Victory. Uh, is there troops coming back? Obviously, uh, Rio Wada uh, played minutes last night at um, in a preseason. Uh, Tom Aldred as well got minutes. Uh, is the is squad, is it going to be a competition spot in the squad? Look, we hope so. We, I feel like we need our captain back. You know, we need um, a fresh injection of um, some quality just to give us a boost right now. Like I said, it's uh, it's been a disappointing last couple of games. And, uh, you know, we, the, the positive about bringing Luke in tonight, he uh, he got through 30 minutes, which was good. 
Um, but you know, we need uh, we need our key players back, fit and on the park for, for significant minutes. Because right now, like I said, um, for, for whatever combinations we're trying, we're just finding ways to lose matches. And uh, thanks to uh, Perth for sending that audio through as well. That was big help with the uh, quick turnaround for the Sunday night Brisbane Football Review show. And Scott, the frustration was evident, wasn't it? It was very evident. Yes, you listened to what he said there. It was very, very clearly frustrated. And we have to talk about the elephant in the room in a way, which was Juan Lascano. That was actually what I was about to well, tee up as well. That was where the frustration really started. Because, look, I mean, he, he copped it. He was pretty heavily criticised for performance on Wednesday against Wellington. And he got through half an hour here today against Perth Glory. And, I, and it was pretty clear, wasn't it, that he was substituted given that Warren wasn't happy with him. And I think, as you heard there from Warren, it's not the only player he wasn't happy with. I think there's a couple of other players there who might have been a bit fortunate who did stay on the field at that point, who maybe got subbed later on, that maybe they could have gone with him. Because I think he was very frustrated with, across the board, in his mind, and I tend to agree with him, this team is better than what it is showing, particularly in the last couple of games away from home. Yeah, and that's they're probably... Than, whatever you think of them and what they are or they are not, they're better than that. Yeah, and they're better than their three-win, two-draw and seven-loss record. That's... Yep. That, to me, is the overarching um, point where whether it's, you know, a, it's a combination of unavailability, a combination of just lack of execution on game day. Like, there's no one big factor. But on Lascano as well, for me, what I actually kind of feel like might have been a bit of a um, turning point in why uh, Moon decided to give him the hook was actually the fact that when Nick Olsen created that chance by getting by Latchman and shooting it straight at ready. I'm not, I, I could be wrong on this and I'm happy to be corrected, but it sure looked like Lascano was having a crack at Olsen for not passing it to him. So, and not very long after that, you saw Cyrus Demi standing up on the bench, getting instructions um, on what to do when he came onto the pitch. Yeah. Um, there's, there's a couple of sort of, um, it's just where, you know, even the, stri- the strikers, you know, with Lascano in the first half with, with that, and even um, even sort of, you know, there was an opportunity late in the game um, where Luka Vanovic he shot at um, he shot at at Liam Reddy, and he Reddy parried away, and uh, and and Cyrus Demi, um, he was he was pretty much ball watching, um, and that and that was sort of, you know, that, that was sort of evident that you know, you know I, I think with, with Demi you're gonna you're gonna forgive that sort of stuff because he is a young player, he's he's that's a teachable moment. That because I, I think he he would have gave up for the moment he saw the, the trajectory of the shot and thought oh this is an easy save for for Liam Reddy and then for all of a sudden you know by what by the time he's parried it he's realised and gone oh I'm I'm stuck like a statue so but um yeah I I just think yeah it's just certain things it's just it's just not it's just not gelling at the moment um especially in that front third and that that's so evident like the build-up play has, has been great like Jay O'Shea you know still as captain is leading leading the way. But, um, yeah, there's just, just some issues and there's just some, yeah, I don't know what the best combination is up front at the moment for the Raw because, yeah, it's just every every time it's something, it's something else, basically. On on that as well, so with Demi, at least, like, the errors that he's making are all teachable moments. He's 19, far from the finished product. I, you feel like if his development, you know, it goes on an accelerated path, He's still probably four years away from being anywhere close to the completed uh, product. And in his defense for the uh, ball-watching incident, um, 
the few times I played striker, my justification for that was always, I just had faith in, that my teammate was going to score. Good, good, you're a great teammate, James, allegedly. <laughs> not, on, not on this podcast, you're not, but apparently you were somewhere else. But with Moscano, it's I learned my lesson. Well, you might have done that. Moscano, <laughs> it's fair to, it's he wasn't the only one. No, Look, not at all. He wasn't the only player that wasn't performing to the level, and perhaps it could have been a case of maybe Cyrus was the player that Warren wanted to have a bit more of an extended look at, and he was the one conveniently that got taken off. So I think it could have been a couple of others as well. But with, with Demi, I do think it probably was a teachable moment. And again, he's in his first 15 to 20 games of senior professional football and young players like this are going to take time. I don't, you know, think, can't think of any players in their first 15 to 20 games who were anywhere near the finished article. So it's going to take time. You guys get used to that. But to answer Adam's earlier question about what the best, Raw's best front line could be, I think it's got to be Luka Vanovic, right? He's yep. got to be in Every time we've seen him play, and albeit in limited minutes this year, given injuries and all the rest of it, he's looked Brisbane's most dangerous outlet in the front. He's looked the player who's more likely than not to create something either for himself or for a team. So I think he's definitely got to be a part of it. And who knows what, if Rio Wada's is going to be a part of that and Millet Ilsnitz when he gets back fit. I think that's probably the best way to go, but we'll have to wait and see. But I definitely think that Luka Vanovic needs to be in that because he's been the rules. Apart from Millet Ilsnitz, who's been on a good run lately, when he's been fit, Ivanovic has been Brisbane's best attacker this year. But on that as well, so... I. I've got to have my say on Lascano as well because I had really high hopes for him because physically he is that sort of striker that really suits Warren Moon's preferred system so well. He's big, he's strong, and he can move a little bit. I feel like his issues so far haven't necessarily been physical. Like I don't, I think I don't think it's a case of can't play. I think it's just a case of he whether it's. Disruption, like, I don't know what level his English is at. For all we know, he could be fluent. and But I just don't feel like he's on the same page as his teammates right now. You look at the runs that he's making, and it's just never quite where either – he's either running where his teammates – not quite where his teammates are expecting him to be, or his teammates are playing the ball, and he's just not where they're expecting him to be. And it just feels like a cohesion issue – rather than a lack of ability. Because I know the default is to just say, oh, you know, he's rubbish, he can't play because he's not in the right spot. But I kind of feel like maybe he just hasn't had that light bulb moment that we've seen other players like Henry Hoare have. One last thing for me on this kind of merit. We've seen this a lot in world football, right? There is an adaptation period that has to be given to players coming from different leagues and different cultures. And even leagues like the Premier League, as an example, Players move to leagues over to, to the Premier League, and if they don't deliver what they were delivering at their previous club in the first four or five games, they're immediately brandished a flop. And maybe that's what people want to do, just have that quick instant take of, of saying he's a flop. I'm not quite there yet. I think there's an adaptation period, which I, don't, which I think you've got to at least give him time to adapt to living in a new country in a different environment before you just say he's a complete and utter flop. I don't, he's certainly not delivering at the moment, but I'm not quite at that, at that ready to declare him as a flop yet. I'm yeah, I'm completely in agreement with you on that, Scott. In that there are quite a few of the uh, Skip Bayless, uh, Shannon Sharp, and uh, Stephen A. Smith types here well, who just want to. How many Premier League centre to be brandished a flop because they didn't score in their first four games that went on to have really good careers for their club? There's a whole bunch of them. Yeah, no, I, I completely agree. Right. I'm not gonna... I can give, I can give you, I can give you a few right now that you know flops at their first club and end up being superstars for for another club. Uh, I don't think I have to repeat. I think people know. 
that. So, but yeah, look, look, I'll, I'll echo sermons as well. I'm not, I'm not ready to give um, Lascano a plane ticket, you know, back, back to Argentina or, or Russia or wherever he's residing from. I think, you know, you got to be, you got to give him a chance. I think, I think as well, you know, maybe, maybe the silver lining that we look back in a month or two time that you know with Warren hooking him from this game. Maybe it, it might be set up that light bulb moment. Maybe maybe he needs to ask what he needs to do to you know to fit into this 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 uh, system. Because yeah, you're right. He looked he looked lost at times in that first forty minutes. He just didn't know where he needed to be um, in comparison to where his teammates are going and passing. So so yeah, look, I think maybe maybe this is the moment. Hopefully that you know that he actually you know, realizes that you know. He, he's, he's, part, he's part of this machine. He's just not here to score goals and you know, and, and then loiter for 90 minutes. He, he has to do more. And on that as well is the one player that I think he's actually developed a pretty solid combination with uh, so far wasn't there today, Nikola Milojuzinic. I, I And maybe it's because, you know, we're, when we see them play at home at Morton Daly, we're able to see a lot more than what the TV camera is able to pick up. But there is a very like interesting little connection between those two as well, where Lascano is happy to play those passes through to Milojuznic and act as sort of that link-up player. And Milojuznic missed this game uh, with a calf injury, according to uh, now, as we can say, former podcast guest Ed Jackson. And look, that, that's not unheard of. That's not unheard of. The player's form dips because his running mate's not there. And um and that, that's yeah. So that that may that may explain a lot as well. That you know that. Uh, no Miljusnich, you know, no Lascano as far as you know where he needs to go because they've, they've worked on such a a good relationship. So yeah, it's it's a difficult one, but um, yeah, like I said, is is Rio Wada the answer? Um, look, we'll, we'll have to see. Have, having uh, met him last Sunday out at uh, Morton Daly Stadium, probably not going to be working as a target man. That. That's, we've, uh, we've had Scott and I had the chance to ha- see him see him last night play for a brief period, and uh, yeah, he's he's not there's not much of him. <laughs> but conversely, as well, though, like getting Luka Ivanovic back could be a huge uh, boost for them as well because he can. Uh, okay, let's just go down the worst case scenario road and say maybe Lascano might have to be limited to a bench role if not, like if he sticks with the raw. Ivanovic can operate that in that central striking role, and then you've got Milayuzic, you've got Wada, you've even got some of the other options out wide, like even Nick Olsen, who was playing uh, as an attacker today, and I think doing a pretty solid job of it as well, Scott. Yeah, I think so. I think Olsen has showed in those in his cameo off the bench on Wednesday against Wellington in the sixty odd minutes he played today in the front. That he's certainly lively, isn't he? he? Made and he was willing to make movements on and off the ball which opened up half opportunities for other players. And that, you, you need a player like that in the front that I think who will make those selfless runs to do that. So I think he could, he was quite good. In terms of the front third, though, I do think Rio Wada will probably come into the front third. Maybe not this weekend. I think it, I think he played about 60, 65 minutes on Saturday night, again, an NPL preseason game. So he's probably going to need an additional run out, maybe at that level, or at least another week or so in training before he's ready to play. But I think him on one side, Milosevic on the other, and then Ivanovic through the middle, with maybe a Henry Hoare as that super sub option, who because he's been really good, he was quite good in that role previously before he got thrust into the starting role. So that four there perhaps might be the way you go with Lascano as that extra option off the bench or a Demi. So there are options, James. But for me, I'll say I think Ivanovic 
is going to be crucial away Brisbane's second half of the season goes. If they can get him fully fit, he looks the most dangerous player they've got in the front third. Ivanovic, Miliusnic, and uh, anyone else who can complete the itch trio for the uh, front three? Mm, I'm trying to think. <laughs> anyway, we, I'll, leave, I'll leave that uh, bad joke. I think it's uh, like Frank Brunoskevich. He was a great player, allegedly, wasn't he? <laughs> Yeah. Hey, after, after after the goal he scored last night, um, Jacob Mudnich. There you go. There you go. There we go. <laughs> yes, and uh, once again, a two-one win for the Raw over Pinter Power and MPL, mm. which is what Adam's referring to. Yes, there we go. Um, now we uh, we do have the three-two-ones for this game, and uh, give the votes uh, as you see fit. Yep, uh, three points to uh, Corey Brown. Thought he was exceptional again on that that left side. Two points, Jay O'Shea, uh, continuing to lead uh, lead the line. Uh, not lead the line, but lead the team as far as with the captain's armband. And also as well, he, he seems to be you know really sort of doing that the job you know as far as his passing distribution. And one point, Nicholas Olsen. I thought I thought he was he was very very good um, in the sixty minutes. Like I said he had probably had the key chance. Um, in the first half, they could have got the raw back on level terms. For sure. Now, um, before we get on to the uh, non-A-League women's match from Parc de Paris on Friday night, I do just want to give a uh, quick mention as well. I don't talk about my day job a whole lot um, for various reasons, but, um, yeah, with Neds, we've been doing uh, a series called Australian Football Stories, this uh, A-League season is part of our partnership with the league. And uh, for the Raw fans, there is a very good uh, one that came out on Friday about Corey Brown and his father, former strikers forward Rod Brown. Um, Daniel Garb came up and gave an interview. I was there for on set for that. And by on set, I mean in the park that we were interviewing them. But it was really, it was really good. It was good fun um, just, yeah, getting to see them talking. So I would encourage you to check that out on the Ned's social accounts as well because – yeah, like it, like we're we're doing our bit to cover Australian football, and yeah, I've got some good ones up there as well. There was uh, one on Melissa Barbieri, I'm fairly certain, a while ago, and also uh, like the Wellington Phoenix uh, women's team. Even done one with, yeah, James Holland and a few of the other ones as well. So, and also most importantly, Mount Isa's bid for the 2030 Winter Olympics, which yeah, I also so, have to get. Is that a paid advertisement? Yes. So when are we getting paid? Yeah, I want to be paid for that first. But also, with <laughs> regards to Mount Isis, I think they might use just as much fake snow as China, right? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Um, yeah, so Australian Football Stories, check it out. Now, um, the other reason why we do have the space for that in tonight's show is because, well, here is all the footballing action that took place at Parc de Paris on Friday night. And we hope you enjoyed all the footballing action that took place at Parc de Paris on Friday night. Because there was a weather event, Scott. There was. I got there a little bit later than the neutral due to an electrical storm. And when I got there, it was pretty clear the game was going to be postponed. There were four or five pretty big puddles on the pitch. And the game, unsurprisingly, was called off due to those and will be replayed at some point in the next couple of weeks. And, yeah, not a lot actually happened on Friday night, unfortunately. It was a bit a bit frustrating. A bit disappointing when Canberra travelled up for the game. Now they have to come back again at some point later on. But you can't help Mother Nature sometimes, James. Yep, that's it, and uh, that is Queensland in February. The weather is not always cooperative, Adam. Yeah, um, with also as well. So I was just just looking back at my notes from 
the game. The, the only thing that actually did happen was the yeah, it was it was actually the name of staying lineup and um Bella, Bella Shuttleworth was due to start um for for the Raw, so she obviously got sort of um I guess spared for spared of that. But um other than that, um yeah, and uh, it's yeah, it was um it's a bit disappointing actually that because uh, I thought maybe um that maybe they said that you know, we were interested to see you know, how the Raw would rebound after that, that absolute thumping they copped from Adelaide. And um, I guess they're going to have to wait now for Thursday night against uh, Melbourne City, who had a big win over, over Sydney today. So that may have just gotten very, very difficult task for the Raw um, down in Melbourne on Thursday. There we go. All right, Scott, you have two stats from the A-League men's game that you just wanted to get to. Yes, quickly, congratulations to Jordan Holmes, debut player number 194 in the men's team. He made his debut today in goals. And Launceston, or Utah Stadium, whatever you want to call it, was the 44th different venue the men's side have played at. I won't sit here and name all of them. We have much better things to do, but it was the 44th different venue. You might. I, I can sit here and name them if you really want to, but you'll have to, you might have to edit it out for the listeners' sake. How long have we been recording for? Not we don't, too long. Way too need- long. We don't need filler. But um, as we did mention, because the uh, weather in Queensland at this time of year is not very cooperative, I feel like there is a very high chance that we are going to have a whole lot of rain coming our way from about Wednesday on because next weekend it's the opening round of the National Premier League's <laughs> Queensland season. And I think just about every seat, every every year without fail, the uh, opening weekend of the season is marred by torrential downpours. I remember... Actually, last year I think might have gone off without a hitch. Last year did, but the week before, the year before did not, and neither did the return from 2020. But James, since you put that um, unpaid advertisement in the show earlier, we're going to collect payment right now. With your day job, I want odds on the on rain to cancel the entire round one this weekend. Uh, I'm actually going to, knowing there's a sun, knowing there are games on Friday, Saturday, Sunday, I'm actually going to make that a two dollar fifty outsider. So. Yeah, might uh, might have to share that with the punters over um the SE SEQFC um community over there. I'll give the official line: gamble responsibly. Thank you. Um, yes, and of course there are no mark actual markets on a round one right now. <laughs> yeah, just to be clear, I'm completely taking the you know what. Yes, as as we are want to do. That's want with an O. Now, um, we'll just quickly uh say what we've got coming up this week. On Wednesday, we are recording our NPL season preview for, I think this will be the third straight season. We've done a dedicated um, a dedicated NPL season preview, 19, 20, 21. Oh, no, this will be the fourth year. Yeah, fourth year. It's 2022, of course. Um, but, yes, we do have that as well. Um, and, yeah, we've got interviews with uh, Scott, Gold Coast United, uh, Gray Pittick. We've got Scott McDonald from Gold Coast Knights. And yes, we've also got the top four coaches from last year. We've got Darren Syme, Chris Grossman, Ben Ryan, and we'll have Ben Khan soon as well. And we've got um, Matt Smith from Brisbane City and Royce Brownlee from Morton Bay. So we've got a fair collection, and that might that might grow between now and the time we release. And hopefully, we'll get all twelve of them involved. Although, and they, we all, we always appreciate them to give taking the time to talk to us before the season and during the season because we do annoy them a lot. But we should have most of them, not all of them, for our season preview show on Wednesday. Especially, especially yesterday when we were running around like uh, blue ass flies uh, <laughs> between lines and and uh, and Underwood Park. Oh, the stories you tell about Underwood 
talk yesterday. <laughs> no yeah, comment. That would have been fun. Um, yes, and no well, final Rochdale Rovers, by the way. That's it's uh, something something else that uh, had a little bit of a let's just call it an issue. There wasn't a kangaroo on the pitch like my last commentary game. That would have livened things up. Yeah, I would have personally. I would have preferred the kangaroo. There we go. Um, yes, so we've got that coming up on Wednesday. Stay tuned to our podcast feeds and Clutch Radio for that because Clutch Radio, of course, has or Clutch is. Uh, now powering NPL.TV. So, um, yeah, that's pretty much it in terms of uh, football stuff. But we do want to end with a, n- another story that came out. Um, it's probably the only real newsy bit that we've got uh, to discuss, and that was Robbie Slater's column in the uh, Courier Mail, Sunday Mail, one of them. Uh, originally pu- published on the Telegraph, it all went around all the uh, News Corp papers. Basically taking shots at the Raw's owners, the Bakri group. Um, yeah, Scott, we'll give you first crack at this. I'm just astonished that finally the mainstream media down there in New South Wales have actually realised there's a problem up here with the Brisbane ownership group. Because, look, we've discussed it. How many times have we discussed this on this show this year, James? At least two or three times in either in actual detail or in passing. We mentioned that there is issues there. And, look, I think he covered most of it relatively well, it's fair to say. But... I mean, look, I just want to, it's, it's, ugh, I don't know where to start with it. It's just, there was, I saw something today. Something sent me something after full time. It was an old TIFO from the den, actually, back in the, in the, I want to say about 2016 or so. They came up with a TIFO and basically said, greatness demands bravery, but apathy breeds mediocrity. Backery group, what's it going to be? I don't and think, I think at the moment, the apathy breeds mediocrity line is pretty much what's happening at the moment, isn't it? And again, I, I want to stress, this is not to do with the people here in, in South East Queensland running the club on a day-to-day basis. This is nothing to do with them. They're doing a great job with what they can do. It's the it's the ownership group in particular where the criticism needs to be levelled, and it's certainly where I'm levelling mine. And I think that's where Robbie Slater was levelling his as well. So I think it's it's about the overseas ownership group, and it's at the moment, it just seems like there's a bit of apathy from them, doesn't it? Adam? Yeah, look, there's, there's not much I know. What, what I found interesting about... Um, about the column, and uh, it, it came came to light while we we're, while we're at Lions. Um, I was watching the preseason games. Um, what was that? Yeah, it it seems to be a case of there wasn't no there wasn't no real uh, ground shaking revelations. A lot of stuff that he mentioned is not not overly a secret. Um, you know, I, I think anyone that has any pulse in football, and even even you know, Robbie Slater, who you know, you, you could say that there is there an agenda or or whatnot. He's taking pot shots. In fact, you know, he, he's probably, you know, in this, it's actually a finely tuned sort of shot aimed squarely at the ownership. Not not at David Perret or his team here. Not at the Australian Professional Leagues. It is the backries. Um, I, I don't know if it's, you know, a, you know the exaggeration as the, the the masthead said as far as, you know, to get the clicks as far as, you know, oh, Australia's sporting tragedy. It's probably not to that level yet, but there are problems. And it, it revolves around money. And the fact is, at the end of the day, all I'm going to add to this, so I might have even mentioned it, mentioned it before, but it's one thing for the Bakeries to pay their financial you know, minimums and whatnot. At the end of the day, they're not in breach of licence. So for those who go around and say, oh, that the APL should yank their licence, um, unless you're prepared for a 10-year legal, legal lawsuit, um, forget it. They're, they're doing their part, and until such a time they don't, 
they they legally are are fine. They're not in breach, but that doesn't mean to say that that they can just you know just you know, basically squat on license and just you know just pay the minimum wages and then expect the team here to get to get results. So either on the pitch or you know in the you know basically in the financials. So that they have a moral obligation to put a competitive side and actually give the people here that are running the show, you know, the the budgets to be able to actually you know implement a few things, um, rather than sort of relying on and especially as well with COVID at the moment. And obviously, doesn't always get put a financial hit on whatever the budgets were two years ago as it was. But it, I think yeah, I think it, it's it's actually you know I know that we don't always agree with what Robbie Slayer says he he can you know shoot from the hip. A lot of times, I think this one's probably spot on because of where he specifically aimed his criticism. It's not, it's not the club, it's not the fans, it's not the players, you know, or or even the government's government's strike. It's purely, you know, the backward group as the owners of the club. They need to do more. Okay, I I've got a slightly different angle on all of this as well, where I think a lot of his complaints about the owner ownership of the Raw and their approach to the club is. Like, it's fair enough. But I found it really shallow, like a really shallow level of analysis just trying to rile up a fan base. And, frankly, it was no different than what you get if you went on to, like, a Brisbane Raw Facebook group and what any random fan would be saying of just, you know, Backery's out, oh, why have we left Suncorp? Why aren't we bringing in, you know, the new Alessandro Del Piero? Why aren't we spending this, that, and the other? or what you might see on Twitter from certain rule uh, fans or former footballing personalities. And for me, I just don't think, like, I feel like a lot of his points that might have carried some semblance of sanity or whatnot really didn't, really didn't hit the mark because of the over the top hyperbole he used or, or his ghostwriter. I'm not quite sure, but on that, I just, I've got a feeling that that was actually a – that wasn't necessarily an idea that Slater came up with himself. I've got a theory on who his source might have been from the uh, local Queensland football scene. I'm not going to say who it is, but – Was Adam. If... I think that's 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 we, were joking, we were joking that, you know, a lot of the comment, the, one of the points he made – we discussed this a couple of weeks in the show. So if Robbie Slater, if you're actually listening to this on Clutch Radio, welcome. Yeah. Thank you for but, listening. It's important. But yes, I think if you search um, certain football personalities who may or may not have been involved in previous broadcast uh, teams, I think you can work out who I'm implying it may be. Um, but yeah, I honestly feel like there, it just was an, a massively shallow thing, um, possibly a targeted uh, tip-off designed to try and get uh, people all riled up. However, his overarching point of something needs to be done is actually correct. So, yeah, I'm going for a little bit more nuance than some of the other reactions to it I've seen where, oh, Robbie Slater's suddenly a genius. Well, we certainly know he's not that. We know that he's definitely not that. It was low-hanging fruit, a lot of it, and it was pretty obvious. But I do agree with Adam's overarching point. When he said... I don't say they're meeting their fiscal requirements, but I don't not their moral ones. It's something we Adam and I were talking about quite a bit last night, actually, at, at the game in the second half at, at Lions. And I don't think they are meeting their moral obligations. To be honest, you, you you've got to at least no. Ha- no. There's things that they could do 
that would make a difference today. And I'm not even talking about bringing players in or anything like that, but there's things that they could do that would help things here on the ground, and I don't think they're doing that. Yeah, and look, we've run through all those things that we've said would be like great for the Raw to have, predominantly a home base, which they may or may not wind up with up at that uh, Morton Bay Sports Complex. But, yeah, there's there are things that need to be done, and yeah, I'm and just going to. I think the look. sad thing as well is that it's taken this long to, you know, to sort of get reach the national sort of, you know, to to alert you know people that you know things aren't well the raw. But unfortunately, a lot of the stuff that needs to change are not going to be fixed overnight, and that's like the, the proverbial that the ship has sailed on a lot of that, and it's going to take years of rebuilding. Um, so look, it may be a case of unless, uh, look, I'm not, I'm not even going to entertain the you know the, the selling of the club or anything like that because look it's it's very very difficult to, uh, for someone to just come along and just say let's say let's say win powerball on you know, next weekend um it's gonna be it's very very unlikely that you know you're gonna have someone that's gonna come in and buy the club and even then you don't know the grass may not necessarily be greener on the other side anyway so i think at the end of the day the message needs to be to the backers you've got this investment treat it as an investment not as a business write-off. And I think, and I think you know, if they at least you know, get that and actually support the club a bit better than what they have, other than just meeting their financial obligations, then I think everyone's going to be better off. Yeah, that's yeah, that's pretty much it. And I don't think there's really a whole lot we can add to it that we haven't already said on the Brisbane Football Review. So it's it is right. good. It's getting national attention. That's a positive thing. Is it is now getting not just us here in Brisbane talking about it. It's, it probably was being discussed. Nationally, yeah. there, and I do think that's a good thing. Yeah, and also on that as well is it is act, like the other point that it does actually have uh, a bit of weight behind it now is like now it's on the clubs to hold the, uh, the other owners accountable as well, yep. where you don't want the situation like you have in, say, the NFL, where you've got Dallas, uh, Philadelphia, and Washington more than happy to have Washington as a complete and utter basket case because it makes their lives a, uh, a lot easier in terms of making the playoffs. That's my one NFL reference because I didn't get to talk about the Super Bowl on Wednesday. Anyway, I think we'll call it a night. Does that sound good with you guys? Yep. Awesome. All right. Well, that's going to be it for this edition of the Brisbane Football Review. Thank you, Adam. Yes, thanks, gentlemen, for a Sunday night. And, Scott, thank you. Good to see you back, James. Adam, as always. Yep. Yes, it is good to be back. We will uh, be ready to record once again Wednesday evening for our NPL 2022 season preview. And we are looking forward to covering all that on the Brisbane Football Review on Clutch Radio. We'll talk to you then. Have a good week.